Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. I have been, I don't know what's been going on with my body. I have been feeling really tired, um, like physically. And it felt like I had, I don't have COVID, but when I had COVID, that extreme fatigue, I was feeling it this morning. And just as Jessica was praying, all of a sudden, I just felt pouring of his presence. And all of a sudden, I just got this burst of energy. Seriously. Like, the timing of it was like, how am I going to get from there to here? Because, like, I, I felt really run down. And just before, before she even said anything, just the presence of God just gave me that extra strength. So, I'm really coming to you right now in this <laughs> supernatural burst of energy. And I know it wasn't coffee. I, I've been having coffee this morning, and that wasn't doing it. But, oh, praise God. I also want to um, just reiterate what Heather's been saying. Like, we have been expressing, we have four campuses, four different expressions, and we've, we've said there are our campus, there are our church, one church, we're not like different campuses, like that's different competing or anything. We are one family. So when the leadership gets together on Tuesday and we talk about, we prepare, we strategize, we're coming together as one family. So when you think, what is our church doing for the homeless? What is the church doing for those, the children in need? This is what we're doing. And this is our invitation. This is our expression. We say we are the resting place, not the lazy place. Like, if you look up the events on our website, trpfamily.org, oh my gosh, there is something going on all the time. Like, we limit the number of announcements we do on Sundays because otherwise we could talk all day. And they have so many more stories to share, but we had to limit because of the time that we have. But I want you to know that our resting place church has been really on the forefront to really uniting the churches in, in the Tampa Bay area because we believe in the peace in the city, right? And reaching the lost. I am so grateful to be part of this church family. And we're inviting you guys all the time. And I so know that this isn't a separate church, separate invitation that's invited. This is our church inviting you. Amen. All right. So, you know, as a boy, I was uh, always interested in superheroes. Marvel, DC Comics. You guys know? Right. Anything comic books and superheroes, I was always like, ooh. And Superman was my my man, right? He he was the all-powerful... you know, in his Speedo underwear suit. I don't know <laughs> what's the deal with these costumes, but I just thought they were the coolest. And I think it was the power, the extraordinary supernatural power that I wanted. I wanted to be like. But somebody brought up um, something about Superman to my attention. And it, maybe you guys thought of it or heard of it. Superman is the only superhero that does not wear a mask as a hero. 
all, if you consider all the superheroes, they wear the mask to hide their true identity, right? Batman, wear a mask because he doesn't want his billionaire identity to be revealed of who he is. But Superman doesn't wear a mask because his true identity is Superman. In fact, Clark Kent is his pseudo-identity. It's the alias. He, and the brilliance of his black rim glasses. <laughs> and his, like, FBI-looking haircut. But, yeah. And, and I used to wonder, what a great mask, right? Was Lois Lane, like, no, come on, dumb? That she didn't recognize Superman just because he had that glasses? Right? I mean, you guys ever think about that? It's like, it's not much of a mask. It's not like it hit his eyes. But she could not recognize the true identity of Superman, even though she had a deep crush on Superman. She looked at Clark Kent, worked with him every day, but didn't recognize him. Why? Why? Because she had presupposition. That preconceived idea of what she thought Clark was, she failed to recognize the true identity of Superman right before him. And I want to also point out that this priest, oh, I want to hold her now. <laughs> our youngest member of our church, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I want to point out that the Jews in the first century, because of presupposition, failed to recognize Jesus Christ in his true identity. Yeah, amen. I love sound of babies. <laughs> sound of life and just true nature. Anyways. Presuppositions. Hey, consider that for a moment. When we think about superheroes, and I think Jesus was the Superman. He was the true Superman. He came not with a disguise. He came not with a mask. And yet people who saw him face to face failed to recognize who he truly was. And I'm thinking, didn't you see the power? Didn't you see the resurrection? Didn't you see him walking on water? Didn't you see him resurrected dead? Like, how could you not think? How could you not recognize he was the son of God, God himself? Presupposition. The Jews thought they knew who the Christ was going to be like. Because of their presupposed idea and understanding, they knew the Bible better than you and me. They memorized it. They didn't have copies. They memorized it and cited it. They knew the law. They knew the prophecies. But they failed to recognize the Christ because it's presupposition that he was going to be a political figure who was going to deliver them from foreign occupation. Presupposition blinds people from being able to see the true identity like Jesus. And I want to invite you this morning and, and to let you know, let's take our presupposition. But to that presupposition is to say, I know what I know. I know what I think I know. 
But sometimes it is that that keeps us blinded from seeing the true nature, identity of our God. We're continuing in our Statement of Faith sermon series. And then this is going to be our preparation for the resting place. We are revamping and elaborating on our statement of faith. So I'm working with Caleb to rewrite our statement of faith, what we say we believe as a church. And so we're going to elaborate on this. And, and this is part of our training for our future leaders to say this is who we are. This is what we believe. It's very important. But I want you to know what you believe. Because you are part of this body, this church, and we want to be in the same agreement. Amen? Because church divided is not a church. The church is the ecclesia, is the assembly that who shares in the one heart of Jesus Christ. So here is what we believe, the statement of faith. Read with me here. We believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God himself, who came in the flesh through virgin birth lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to atone for the sins of mankind. But he rose again from the death, witnessed by the living, and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, so that at his name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. I usually like to do statement of faith as like one sentence, but this is like, Paul's style of run-on, <laughs> deeper adding on. <laughs> We're going to look at the person and Godhead of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at his identity. We're going to look at the scriptures, the prophecies that he fulfilled, his works. And at the end, I want us to ask the question, so what? So what? How does his identity pertain to me, matter to me, affect my life, my spiritual walk? Why his identity, his works, and who he is matters for our lives. First, we're going to look at Jesus as the Son of God and God himself in the flesh. We're going to look at Jesus Christ as the Son of God, God himself, who came in the flesh. So we read in John 1, 1 to 3. I'm going to have it for you uh, in the ESV version. And it reads... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Did you guys get that? So it, it sounds a little poetic, cryptic, because the word, word, <laughs> is personified as a he. But we think word is a noun, as if it's an expression. And it's like, it says, the word was with God, the word was God. He, personified, was in the beginning with God. Now, what does that mean? And so, this word, this poetic expression, it this sounds actually very much like Genesis 1 and 2, if you know the creation account. In the style which John wrote, he was writing to both the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews who know Genesis really well as the first, you know, uh, the book of the law. But he was also writing to the Greeks, the, the Gentiles. 
And so he's writing to two very different demographics, but he's writing in a style, and he says, and he's talking about Jesus. He puts it all together, but he says that word, logos in the Greek, is this Jesus. And I want you to know this is like brilliance. Like, oh, he's really smart. Here's why. The Jews looked at the agent of creation in the beginning in Genesis was God's word. He said, let there be. You guys understand? It's the word of God. He said, let there be. I'm imagining the Big Bang, explosion, particles going everywhere. And all of a sudden, there is this creation of the planets, the light, the sun, and, and, and everything in between. He said, let there be. And he created and separated and put order into chaos. God's word, agent of creation, who was there from the very beginning, before the creation, he preexisted, is Logos, God himself. And so the Jews, they're like, oh yeah, we get that. But then Logos to the Greeks means completely different thing. Logos is where we get the word logic. Logos is where we get understanding. Or, or in any of your class, biology. What does that mean? It's the study, understanding of the subject of bio, which is the living things, right? Physiology, uh, not mathematics. That, no. Uh, <laughs> what are some of the other? Uh, theology, study of God, right? It is the subject of understanding that makes sense of to the logic of Theo, which is God, bio, and all that. So all subjects. So to the Greeks, this logos is the understanding logic of the subject. But they take that further. You know, the Greeks are like, they love to study and talk about ideas and philosophies. So Socrates, Aristotle, and you take the brilliant minds of the West and you have the Greeks who love to debate. That was the culture. And Logos, they believed, was how the whole cosmos worked. That's what they said. Logos is how the world operates. It is the intelligent design. It is the intelligent system to which all the planets and the nature operate. Logos. And John says that Logos is Jesus. That's God. He personifies everything that you understand of how the world operates. The agent of creation who said, let there be. And the one who keeps and sustains all things. Logos was Jesus. How brilliant is that? Like he's talking to two complete cultures and he uses the one word that connotes the fullness, identity of Jesus Christ. I was like, oh. no. And then he wraps it up. This agent of creation's logos. He says, John uh, 1, 1, 14, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So think about that. This logos, 
agent of creation, creator himself, one who sustains the whole cosmos, came in the flesh. He became human and revealed the glory of God. The invisible God came in the flesh. Like, I confess, I can only comprehend what I can comprehend. I only know what I know. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what I don't understand. You guys understand? We are very finite in that. And so I'm, when I look at something like this, I'm thinking, I only know a portion because I don't know if I can get grasp the fullness of what John says about this Jesus. So bear with me as I try to unveil what I little I know, okay? Which, again, is very little. Um, God came in the flesh. The invisible God who is spirit came in a tangible human incarnate with flesh and bones. When we think, this is your church, so I believe you are Christians. If I were to ask Christians, what do you know about Jesus? The easy answer is, he's a son of God. God he's God himself. And this is why we come, this is why we worship him. Very rarely do I get an answer, he's fully man. Very rarely do we think of Jesus as man. He was man, but that was a very temporary thing. But he's God. We think of him more as a God as opposed to fully man. And I want us to consider that it's very important that he came as a man. It's very important that what he did on the earth, an example of his ministry, that he did as a man, fully man. And I want you to consider that in the early church, and if you look at church history, um, oh, there are so many things that happen that, we, that repeat in the culture. So there's not really nothing new under the sun. You read church history, read history, and like human nature just does different patterns. They just wear a different dress. Not guys, but anyways. Um, we struggle to understand the humanity of Jesus or to remember the humanity of Jesus because we say, Jesus is God. How can he be man? Because you can't choose, we can't comprehend him being both. Do you understand? If you're a man, you're no God. But if you're a God, you're no man. How can you be both? So this identity of the Logos, fully God who created, coming in the flesh is hard to comprehend for many of us, for me. But this genius of God goes beyond human comprehension of what he did, why he did it. But there's a couple of reasons why we recognize that and we have to grasp the human nature of Jesus Christ. One, uh, Romans 6.23 writes that the wages of sin is death. Okay, if you have sin, you deserve death. In fact, there is a payment that is required of death. Romans 3.23 declares that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. That's every one of us. I don't know if any of you feel like, oh, I've never sinned, so that's not me. All. Have, right? We'll be fooling ourselves. 
So it's important to recognize that Jesus was fully man and fully God and why he, can't, he had to come in the flesh. So again, I'm not even going to go into the depth of everything, why Jesus had to come in the flesh, but there are many, many, many reasons. One, he needed to be a man to die for us. You understand that? God cannot die. God is spirit. Spirit does not die. It is eternal, infinite. But the wages of sin is death. For him to be our substitutionary atonement, for him to say, I want to take your sins, I want to pay for your sins, he had to be able to die in order to pay our wages of sin, he had to take on flesh to be able to die. You guys understand that? Okay. And two, he took on flesh to be able to identify with our human frailties. To recognize how difficult we struggle with. Physically, emotionally, all of our human weaknesses and frailties, he took it on so that he understands our human frailties. Bear with me. Just last Sunday, we talked about Resurrection Sunday, a.k.a. Risen Sunday, a.k.a. some of you call it Easter. I like Risen Sunday as a brother suggested because it's like two syllables. Risen as opposed to resurrected. <laughs> so we, we, we might try that. So I, I, I'm, you know, I'm grasping it. Um, but this past Sunday, we talked about resurrection of Jesus. We talked about his death on the cross. Did you ever consider his, his, Jesus Dying on the cross was easier for him than it is for us. Have you ever considered when the centurions were, or, or the soldiers were beating him, whipping him, flogging him with whips that had claws and bones at the end that literally ripped up his back? Do you think it was any easier for him because he was God? It's easy for us to sometimes think that because we compartmentalize our feelings when we're reading. He's God. He resurrected that. I'm sure he can protect him. No pain. Superman. Right? Sometimes I, I do. I almost have detached my emotional because he's God. He endured it. Yeah, it was hard, but he was able to protect. Sometimes. I don't know if we fully comprehend that was my pain. That was my skin. That was my death. He, as a fully human, experienced the agony that he could barely. When they nailed his hand and, like, he's hanging on that cross. Like, there's a whole study on this of way they hung uh, the, on the crucifix. He wouldn't be able to breathe unless he lifted himself up. And he's, like, pulling on the very nail that is, like, pierced him. And he's having to pull just to take that breath. <laughs> He's so weak, he can barely do pull-ups. He's already beaten, tortured, bleeding. They don't last very long because of that excruciating pain of the torture. 
Do we think it was any easier for Jesus than it would have been for us? No, because he was fully man. It was hard. And do you think that it was any easier for Jesus when his closest 12, one that he loved, invested, one he entrusted his money with, betrays him? Do you think it was any easier that while he's dying, he's looking down of, of people who were like supporting him, encouraging him at his funeral, that there was only one out of the 12? I mean, think about it. His closest 12, only one showed up to his death. Everyone else was covering their own butts, afraid that they too might be arrested. Peter denied him to a slave girl, not even a significant person. Like, she put the, the value of the slave girl's opinion more than the loyalty with Jesus. Do you think it was any easier for him? I mean, in, in the church, we hear a lot of stories of the hurts that we experience. I need prayer. I have a hard time forgiving this person who's done this to me. And yet, do we think it was any easier for Jesus when he was betrayed by his closest 10 out of the 12? And yet, he forgave them. Yet he showed what righteousness looked like. Yet he showed what holiness looked like. He who was without sin still did not sin through all of that process until he went to the cross to bear all of our sin. Why? So that he can give us his righteousness. The righteousness that was on him, holiness he was born without sin, he gave it to you, to us, to those who believe. It's like he's doing an exchange. He who is without sin, perfect, is exchanging his righteousness with the sinners and the brokenness. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet he was tempted and he resisted. And he showed, like, whether it's the, uh, and I talk about it in some of my Bible study, like when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and the devil came to him and tempted him, do you think it was a temptation? They're like, <laughs> Jesus, you know, whipped out the scripture and told devil where to go. Go back to hell. Yeah, that would have been a nice thing. All right. But think about it. And we think that would have been easy for Jesus to do so because he had complete victory. But don't you think 40 days of fasting, he was completely weak? That bread sounded pretty good. That, oh, I'll take the whole kingdom without having to do anything. That sounds pretty good. Because how many of you, if you were given, offered the entire kingdom without having to work, I mean, isn't that the dream of the lottery? I mean, how many of you guys have ever played lottery? With that same dream, get the kingdom without working. We wish for it. I mean, let's be honest. And yet Jesus resisted and overcame. And he did so by showing us in the flesh as a human being, you too can be victorious. And he didn't just stop there. He didn't just say, oh, do as I do. I'll show you what righteousness looks like, right? He didn't just stop there. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me after his resurrection. Before he commissioned, 
he sent them with his authority. He said all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth and everything else. He says, all authority, now therefore go. He's giving his authority. Why do we think, oh, I can't do it. I can't resist temptation. I tried. I would say if you ever thought that, then you don't know Jesus or you don't know what he's done for you. You can't grasp what he has done, who he is and what he has done, what he has extended to you if you have ever thought that. Romans 8.3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I want you to know that in the early church, there were heretics. And what they were considered as heretics, what they believed was, get this, some believed that he was fully God, but not fully man. Some believed that he was fully man and not fully God. They were considered heretics. Do you understand that? To grasp the full nature of Jesus, you have to believe that he was fully God and fully man. Because if you believe one without the other or vice versa, you are missing the incomplete Jesus. You are missing something out in your theology. You don't know his identity. And anything short of his identity is heresy. We don't use that word very often these days. We don't call you heresy because you have bad theology. We just say, ah, you have your belief, I have mine. You stay in your own zone and I do mine. That's what this postmodern world has said. Well, let's say for what it is, it's heresy. Because anything short of who God is, is not, is missing the mark. We believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God himself who came in the flesh through virgin birth, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to atone for the sins of mankind. But he rose again from death, witnessed by the living and ascended to the right hand of God, the Father, so that at his name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. He lived a perfect life in the flesh. Yet he died on the cross for our sins. We celebrate that risen Sunday, whatever you call it. (laughs) But we have to recognize that Jesus died on the cross. That resurrection was the exclamation mark that proves who he said he was. That proves who he was. That in the flesh, fully man, he was able to atone, pay for our sins, but also Prove his identity. And what's his identity? As a son of God, God himself. A couple of things about his resurrection. This miracle of the resurrection did two things. One, the tomb was empty. Our entire faith is conditioned on this evidence. 
the tomb was empty, meaning there was no body. The linen, the mask, all, all that stuff, he rose. The tomb was empty. And two, he was witnessed by over 500 people all at once. First uh, Corinthians 15.3, this is what Paul writes. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. If you want to hear more about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, look at the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke, right? The, there's more details of when he resurrected, who went there first, empty tomb, angel, earthquake, all that stuff. And then who he appeared. It's like Jesus just like goes to the walls. I can't comprehend this because he's fully man, but he's resurrected. So I'm not, now I'm like, what is the state? I don't know. But he went through the wall. Like the door's closed. He just shows up. Hey. And what's the response of his disciples? Scared. They thought they were seeing a ghost. No. You read up on it. I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. He shows up. He's resurrected. And people are like, think, they think that they're seeing a ghost. And Thomas, who said, oh, there's no way I believe in this resurrection because, you know, the women came back, they talked about it. And Thomas is like, you know, this is where he gets the doubt in Thomas expression. He's like, I, I won't believe it unless I touch with my own hands and see with my own eyes type deal. Jesus shows up. What does he say? Hey, Thomas, come here. Put your hand over here and see the scars. To show it was not a mirage. Paul alludes that 500 people at the time of this writing had seen Jesus all at once. In fact, it showed him to um, other people afterwards. And why is this important? Because I have, gosh, if you've been a Christian long enough, you get to hear all kinds of debates and what people speculate, presuppose what they think about Jesus. And they say, Jesus really didn't resurrect. People just thought that they saw. Because when, you, when somebody you love dies, there's a lot of people who see those who have died because they're lo- longing for, to see their loved one. That's what they say. And, and we get cases of that. But Paul writes that this wasn't a mirage. In fact, at the time of his writing, he said, over 500 people saw him all at once. Did all 500 people at one time see a mirage? Come on, guys, right? And then he says, and most of whom are still living. You know what that means? You can ask them. There are still eyewitnesses. And if these eyewitnesses who are still alive, who claim to have seen Jesus, and you're like going as a news reporter, checking it out. Hey, Joanne, did you really see? Because, you, you know, Paul says that you saw. It only takes one person to say no, that didn't really happen. He, Paul is just like writing BS. It would have stopped right there. 
Do you understand? The whole Christian movement would have stopped right there. And people were willing to die for this. They, apostles, disciples, as they were going around talking about Jesus, in places, they said, if you recant your faith, if you stop and you say this was all a lie, we will let you live. And they were willing to die for this truth. Think about it. If you knew it was a lie, you would not give your life for it. Nobody lies for for a lie. Nobody dies for a lie. But if you know it's the truth, it's not even about ideology. It is about what you have seen. I know what the truth is. I'm willing to die for this truth instead of lying to you that just to save my life. The disciples were willing to give their life. Paul points out that Jesus was witnessed. Hundreds. And there were witnesses in the time of this writing. And this is what it means. If somebody ever told you, hey, I'm going to die in such and such way. But on the third day, I'm going to come back to life. You'd be like, yeah, right. You wouldn't be able to believe such a thing. But you'd be curious. (laughs) Not that we want anybody to die. (laughs) But if somebody does die, and they have claimed that he's going to come back to life, you're going to wait and see. Okay, three days. And he does. He comes back to life. That would get your attention at minimum. At minimum, you would hear what he had to say. Guy comes back to life. He says he's going to die, and after three days, he's going to come back to life. You would at least hear what he had to say. What did he say? He said, I am the Son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without me, no one can enter the kingdom. In the early church, people failed to recognize who Jesus was. Maybe they didn't believe in it because of the presupposition. They didn't recognize the true nature, true identity of Jesus. Because they said, you're Nazarene. What good can come from Nazareth? You're a carpenter's son. Come on. Maybe you're a prophet. You had some good teachings. God's own son? Blasphemer. We're going to kill you for that. That deserves death. And that's what they killed him for. And yet, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. Resurrect himself. That can only be God. Come on now. You can't kill the man because he's Superman. True nature. Come on. You know that whole Superman is like inspiration of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He's the Superman, the one son from the distant planet with a supernatural power. And there is no kryptonite in him. Anyways, I'm just saying. But he rose again from death, witnessed by the living, ascended to the right hand of God, but the Father, so that 
At his name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. Listen, if you believe Jesus Christ is God, what is the appropriate response? What is our appropriate response? It's worship. If you recognize that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, God himself, the only appropriate response is worship. Our submission and to follow him and do as he says. Amen? Okay. You know how many times I've had conversations with people when I'm inviting them to our church, when I'm talking to the lost uh, who, don't, who are unbeliever and I'm trying to share the good news of Jesus Christ and all these things? And you know, often they get, yeah, but does your church believe? And they'll talk about, can I still watch porn? Can I do what I want with my girlfriend? Do I, what about drugs? They're talking about the social issues of our culture. And what they're really asking is, can I still do those things if I go to your church? They're shopping. You guys seen people shop? They're shopping. Let me see if I will agree with your ideology of your religion and all that stuff. Now, that's putting the cart before the horse. The question, the more important question is, not about the social issues of our day, but do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God himself? Because if he is the Son of God and God himself, then the only appropriate response is worship and our knees. We submit and do as he says. If we say he is the Lord, then we are, our, we are the servants. We have no choice of a la carte, does your church believe? Irrelevant. If you believe Jesus is the Lord, you will follow in his word. And his words are very clear. I mean, people like read the Bible because I can't. You believe in that. I believe in that. It's like, you don't know what you believe because you don't even know how to read the Bible. You got to figure out what the Bible meant then to figure out what it means. You can't just read it and go, oh, this is what it means to me. And your meaning, your interpretation is a little bit different, but it, no. It's very clear what the word of God was intended for his audience and how it still speaks to us today. You read it in the proper context and you understand what God is telling you. You want, you want to refuse that? That's on you. But don't say that he is your Lord and you fail to submit. You don't know who he is if you say you can tell God what to do. You don't know who he is if you fail to recognize your position in this. You guys understand this? I'm not preaching fire and brimstone here. I'm just saying, do we recognize Jesus for who he is? Because if we recognize who he is, then we know who we are. And when we know who we are, it puts us in the proper context of what we are to do. The so what of our life is this. You are no longer, you are your own. You are righteous. You are saints. There is the power of God in you by the Holy Spirit. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have received the Holy Spirit in you, one with God as a new temple, you have far more. And Caleb preached that last week. Oh, my gosh. There is so much more power to our identity than what we have given it credit for. If you believe. And it starts with who is Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? And then 
that you will know who you are in him. Amen? We rise to your feet. I don't know how long you've been a Christian or if you are a Christian or if you are shopping for a church. The mission of the church, mission of the resting place, is for the lost, found, found free, and peace to reign. Lost, found is that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are in that lost category. And we want to share the good news of Jesus. I want to welcome the prayer team to come up. These uh, prayer warriors are servants who are trained, who can pray with you, answer your questions, but really they are here to just partner with you by the Holy Spirit and to lead you. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to come up and receive. No charge, I promise. <laughs> the gospel is free but it was paid for you in advance by his blood, with his blood, with his life, so that he can give you his righteousness and sinlessness, that, he, that God calls you saints in his name. We also recognize that lost, found, found free. There is freedom where the spirit of the Lord is. We want you to be free. If there's any oppression, there difficulties, if you have been struggling with any sin that you say, I cannot beat on my own, the prayer team is here. Our desire is for you to be free, set free from any bondage of the flesh. And peace to reign. And that is shalom of God. That is the whole restoration, wholeness that God desires to release onto you. The prayer team will be here, but I want you to lift up your hands. I'm going to pray for you, bless you. And after service, I'll be in the lobby area and just to greet you, talk with you. But whatever your needs, I, I want you to come forward to receive the prayers. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. God, you are Lord, and you have revealed yourself on the cross. You have revealed yourself in the resurrection. You have revealed yourself as a son of God who came in the flesh, God. And Lord, you are worthy of our worship. Lord, we confess that there are times in, of our own personal trials, and we thank you that you have empathized, and Lord, you are the ultimate case that we look to to how to live. But even beyond that, Lord, you have given us victory. You have given us your victory through your Holy Spirit. You have given us victory like how to overcome and resist temptations, that there is hope in, in life to what you have in store for us. So I release that right now, Lord, this greater revelation to my brothers and sisters of the hope that you have in store for us. Thank you. Our God, our Lord, he bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That is his glory shining down on you. 
that you are the reflection of his glory. You are made in his image, and he has given us his righteousness and his authority. Go forth in that victory, from victory for victory. Go forth from here. Be released. The encounter of Jesus in your life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.